All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. Uh, This is Tuesday, November 11th, 2016. Uh, I like to remind you each and every week, I'm also the author of a newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks, and my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is in partnership with Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? Want to sign up for either my letter or Chen's letter, you can go to miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com, or you can call our office here in New York during normal work hours, uh, 718-457-1426. 718-457-1426. want to thank each of you for listening to the show and encourage you to send along your questions for Taylor. Send your questions, comments, criticisms, praises, what have you, to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. And uh, also, we want to thank our sponsors for uh, making this show economically viable. Our sponsors for this week are New Legacy Gold Corp., Novo Resources, Klondike Gold, RN Resources, and Arion Phosphate. Well, keep in mind that the sponsors of this show are companies that I have recommended uh, to the paid subscribers of my newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. And for the most part, they are also companies that I have put my own money into, into my retirement account primarily. In other words, uh, the companies that are sponsors are not sponsors simply because they showed up with a check. They have been invited to become sponsors because I believe in their mining projects and have recommended them to my readers and as I say in most cases have put my own money into those companies. Two of my favorites in this group are Novo Resources and Aron Resources. Novo is in the process of making what I think has the potential to evolve into a spectacular gold discovery in northwestern Australia and I do hope to have the company's president Dr. Quentin Henning with me again sometime very soon on this show uh, for an update. What I do believe based on recent press releases is that the grades are, uh, the gold grades are likely to be much higher than advertised. There's reasons for that we don't have time to go into, but Dr. Henning will probably talk to us about it when he's on the show sometime in the near future. Well, you won't have to go, uh, you won't have to wait very long, that is, uh, to hear from another of my favorites, uh, RN Resources, because in just a couple of minutes, that company's executive chairman, Ivan Bebek, will be with me to talk about the exciting projects that that company has both in Canada and Peru. Usually, Michael Oliver is with me on this show, but as it turns out, Michael is not with us today, but uh, though I do hope to have him on next week, I did, however, talk to Michael yesterday, and he suggested I pass along uh, some of his views on the markets that are most important to us. Starting with gold, Michael expects congestion at or around the 1276 to 1286 range 
uh, and he would like to see gold hit that range and bounce back because uh, the next time up through, he thinks it will it will probably penetrate through and take us to much higher levels. And I believe Michael is still looking for something north of $1,400 before the end of this year, which would be quite a move, quite frankly, from now. Now, Michael also points out that if you look at the dollar index, you know, it's it's only about where it was a year ago. And during that time, gold has risen some $360. So, uh, you know, so much for the notion that gold can only rise when the dollar is weak. Last but not least, Michael sees the T-bond as being perilously close to a collapse. And he notes that if it closes below 166 and a quarter at the end of this month, it will have broken a momentum trend. uh, And he would be then looking for much lower uh, bond prices and much higher interest rates. Well, it certainly seems to be what the stock market's concerned about today, as the equity market is down, has been down some 250 points on the Dow. Uh, but getting back to the T-bond, uh, it, it is up a bit today as money has come out of the equity market. But Michael points out that if we were to see something below 164, uh, I think 164 and a quarter uh, before the end of this week, he would look not to wait for the end of the month to get out, but he would start to become more aggressive in either getting out or in shorting the T-bond. So that's uh, you know, as Michael has pointed out also in the past, that when interest rates start to rise in earnest, that's likely when we're going to see the equity markets trend. And I would just mention uh, David Stockman reminded his readers this morning that, quote, stocks are floating precariously close in the nosebleed section of the historical valuation, waiting for an unexpected shock to send them spiraling downward. End of quote, David Stockman. He expects something on the order of a 40% decline for stocks. Ouch, that would be uh, very, very difficult. The big question then in my mind as a gold bug is if we have a massive decline in equity prices, is that going to mean that the gold shares will be taken down with it? And uh, also, could it be that uh, as equities are rising, could the gold bull market be over? Certainly something that a lot of the mining company executives I talk to uh, are worried about. Well, that's one of the things we want to talk to Frank Holmes about. Frank will be with us at about a half past the hour. Uh, But for now, however, we uh, have to take a commercial break, but don't go away because coming right back, uh, when when we come back from the break, Ivan Bebek, the executive chairman of R&R Resources, will be with us to talk about his exciting projects both in Canada and Peru. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Oren Resources is a Canadian-based gold exploration company focused on the company's flagship Committee Bay project located in northern Canada, one of the best mining jurisdictions in the world. The company's current resource outlined by drilling thus far stands at 1.1 million ounces of gold and over 8 grams per ton. Oren is operated by the same team that founded Asanko Gold, which is constructing a major gold mine in West Africa, and Caden Resources, which was recently purchased in November for over two. $200 million. Novo Resources focuses on the exploration and development of gold projects. Its flagship asset is the Beaton's Creek Gold Project in Western Australia, where it is currently processing a 30,000-ton bulk sample. Novo also controls 100% interest in the Blue Spec Gold Antimony Project, where it is conducting a 10,000-meter drill program. The company has over $7 million in cash and enjoys strong shareholder support from the likes of Eric Sprott and Newmont Mining. It trades in Canada and the U.S. under the Symbols NVO and NSRPF respectively. 
When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again Ivan Bebek, the co-founder and executive chairman of RN Resources. You know, it's always good to talk to and learn from successful people, and so it's always good to talk to Ivan because he is among the most successful mine exploration executives in North America, starting with a project operated now by Asanko Gold. Well, that company is ramping up to 450,000 ounces of annual gold production, so quite a quite a story there. But then Ivan and his partner, Sean Wallace, uh, next engaged uh, in the discovery of another gold deposit, uh, this one in Mexico, which was sold off to Agnagul Eagle for a, for a nice sum of money and made the shareholders a lot of money in a bad market, I might add. It was one of the few things that made money for me a couple of years back. But now I think um, perhaps the best story yet to come from the uh, Bebek and Wallace team uh, is in the form of RN Resources. It's a company that, of course, is it's a sponsor to this show. It's a company that I own personally. It's uh, one of my two top holdings personally. It is one of my favorite picks in my newsletter for a host of reasons that I think will become very clear to you as we, uh, as we talk to uh, as we talk to Ivan. So welcome, Ivan. I'm so glad that you could join me today. Thank you very much for having me back, uh, Jay. It's a pleasure to be here. <clears throat> well, you know, in a previous interview, uh, you talked about the world-class exploration potential for your Committee Bay project uh, at, in Nunavut, and I, I really do want to, uh, to focus on that today. But you, in the meantime, I'd like to ask you about several acquisitions that, that you've made, really exciting targets, I think, um, in Canada as well as in Peru. Uh, starting with Homestake Ridge, you know, this is a project that Agneagle Eagle had committed, I think, 20 to $25 million, something like that, to spend and explore on. And they, they're clearly, uh, their geologists clearly saw potential there. But then I believe they dropped out of the project in part because of the price of gold and they had other projects they had to take their resources, uh, devote those resources to developing other mining projects that they had. But what, uh, what did you see and what did your team see? in the Homestake Ridge project that really turned you on and, and had you uh, acquire that prospect? Yeah, well, for, first and foremost, um, you know, to the comments you made, we, outside of doing the work in Committee Bay, we've been extremely busy with the acquisition of Homestake and one more project, which we can talk about later in Peru called Banyo Cell Indio. But Homestake to us, when we first approached it, um, you know, we looked at it at around nine, a million ounces of nine grams gold equivalent, uh, you know, per ton, um, and that's that's an incredible grade for any gold deposit in the world. And I think about eighty or eighty-five percent of that is gold, and the equivalent number, which is significant. Um, we looked at it and we thought, okay, well, this is an asset that's close to home. It's in an area that seems very permeable that you could build a mine, and 
you know, what kind of profitability exists around that deposit? And, you know, certainly showed to have a lot of brownfield exploration for us and for your viewers, brownfields just mean stuff where you're not speculating as much. You see obvious extensions of mineralization that could exist. And so for us that, you know, the big question was, what's it worth today and does it get bigger? And uh, one of our directors, uh, Keith Minty, had actually built two mines in that area of British Columbia. And so he was very familiar with cost and CapEx and, and how these things could come together. And, you know, I won't repeat the numbers because we'd have to do a formal report, but it would be an extremely low cost CapEx, a very quick payback. And as is, all you would really have to do is some infill drilling and the feasibility work and uh, apply for permits. And you could make this deposit work and be, it would be very profitable for a company of any size. But that, that wasn't the biggest appeal that came to us. You know, that was that was the decision. Yes, we're going to go forward with it. We tested the metallurgy. We made sure all of the, the due diligence was sound. Recently, we actually had a chance to get up to site to look at it. And I got a report from the geologists who went, and they were, they were more impressed than with the project than we were when we first learned of it and, and did the acquisition. What really impressed them was the downfields, the conservative expansion of resource. And this is following up on work that was done prior to us. Um, Agnico did some great work when they were there in 2014. And it kind of left some, you know, to us, really low-hanging fruit for us to go expand that high-grade mineralization. And second from that, while they were walking the ground, they started to find huge structures that continued off of the mineralization that had no work done on them previously and highly mineralized, you know, visually they look like they're highly mineralized or highly altered. And uh, then they found some areas that had received tremendous amount of surface sampling, multi-gram gold and no exploration drill holes done in those. And thirdly, there's a major SK Creek trend, the one that hosts the SK Creek deposit, which is one of the richest deposits in the world. It comes through the, uh, the eastern side of the property and there's no drill holes in it and there's a major conduct underneath it. So when we got a chance to get to site and assess it technically, you know, beyond the basic due diligence to spend real time there, you know, it screams to us value as is. It would underpin the value of our company and it is something that is near to production if you want to go that route. But our game plan with Homestake is going to be to make it much bigger before we go and start to talk about building a mine or, or consider selling the asset just because we think there's a very low risk to make that deposit a lot bigger. And I have to echo the grade, nine grams gold equivalent that will survive in almost any gold market that we could possibly see. But in the one we're headed towards, it will be one of the most profitable deposits that we can see out there. You also have uh, some silver there as well. It's gold and silver, right? Yes, Jay, there is gold and silver there. There's, um, there's uh, two of the best metals in the precious metal sense. And, you know, it makes for an interesting concentrate that uh, it, what we've learned about the project is it'd be a very high-valued concentrate because, you know, it, it does work in, in that sense. And there's been quite a bit of studies done before us. But um, you're looking at really profitable rock. You're going to look at a, a very significant amount of gold and a decent amount of silver, which I think is extremely appealing going in towards this uh, better precious metals market that we're headed towards. Yeah, this Homestake Ridge, I believe, is uh, is uh, located in what is known as the Golden Triangle of British Columbia. Is that right? Yes, uh, I alluded to S Creek, SK Creek earlier. <clears throat> sure. The Golden Triangle is referred to that in BC. I'm sure you've followed it for years. It's sure. one of the the richest places for mineralization and ounces being discovered, I believe, 
Predium, you know, SK Creek itself and, you know, some other Seabridge, some big, big discoveries have been made there. There's a huge amount of resource endowment. Getting into the Golden Triangle is every junior's dream out of Vancouver and finding a major discovery there because that's where some of the biggest ones in the entire world have been found. However, getting into one that has a million ounces is nine grams equivalent to start and being able to apply our technical team, you know, the depth of our technical team on that project. And then, you know, next year we'll drill probably at the very least 10,000 meters. You know, a lot of that will be extensions of resource and major new discovery type of holes. It's going to be something that really gives us value and gives our shareholders value. You know, that alone could justify Orin as a company, as a great investment today as is. Just that asset alone. That's how good we think it is. Can you uh, explore this during the wintertime or is this going to be mostly a summer project to start with? You know what, it's, it's going to be summer, but it's a bit earlier summer. It'll go from May through October, mm-hmm. so May, June, July, August, September, October. That's a pretty decent season that you get on it. And with these northern projects, it's important for, you know, as, as much as it's tough to not drill in the wintertime or year-round, you know, it's, it's also a blessing because you can take a really smart technical team and they can actually digest and properly assess what's happening, you know, with the model and the structures and which way they're going and they can process their data. So you'll see that theme across Committee Bay. Each year will get better than the year before as we work on those projects. But in the meantime, we do have Peru, which is just about to get started and uh, Peru will go year round. Um, However, we probably will take a break on Peru in the summertime while we're drilling the Northern Africa to do our, you know, our processing of the Peru discoveries or our drilling that we do in that time. Well, I certainly it's certainly a big plus uh, for me as a as an investor in your company is to see news flow that now can come around the the whole year. You know, we had to sort of wait now for the drill results to come out of Committee Bay up in Nunavut. Uh, and uh, again, I want to ask you about that. But talk just a little bit about what you picked up in Peru. I think there's a Banos del Indio property. Is that is that your the one yeah. that you're most focused on? Well, you know what. Um we're going, we're going to focus on three of them at the same time, but they all have different targets, different styles. The Banyo Stel Indio acquisition was something we worked on for about 13 months. It was um, something that's been uh, coveted by one of our directors, Antonio Rebus, who was formerly the chief exploration geologist of Newmont. Since 1995, when he was with Placer, he was coveting this, this target. It's the largest untested alteration system you know, in the Andes, or one of them. And uh, what's really important about it, and it's quite clear in our presentation on our website, Weacoyo, which we acquired earlier in the year, is south of Banyos by about 10 or 15 kilometers. And it's got a major north-south structure going through it, which continues right through Banyos. And it's obviously gold-bearing because there's previous drilling and gold intercepts in Weacoyo, and there's really good intercepts there. Um, The theme of the north-south structure in Peru is critical from uh, Michael Henriksen, our chief geologist, who is a structural geologist, he said one of the key elements of Yanacocha, which is over 60 million ounces or with 60 million ounces of gold, was uh, that they had this north-south structure which carried the fluid pathways that hosted all the gold. When you see that coming from Weacoyo, right through Banyos, and Banyos being such a massive alteration system with huge cells of silica, it really gives us that huge target look. It's something that could be you know, like a Lakoipa would be a good analogy. You know, mm-hmm. it could have the potential to be five to ten million ounces or beyond that. And you know, if you find something like that 
in Peru and stuff and with, you know, the accessibility and the nearby infrastructure or the infrastructure right to a neighboring property that we have there, you know, it's, it's really something that would certainly get, you know, a lot of, a lot of respect and there'd be a lot of, a lot to monetize there. Um, Banos is earlier stage. There is some minimal work done on it and we all recognize that, but our understanding of Peru the back engineering of Yanacocha from a structural perspective that our geologists have done, as well as the gentleman who was credited with the discovery of Yanacocha to be a gold deposit versus a silver deposit, um, Miguel Cardozo, he, he actually was the one who assembled these properties together for us and with us. Um, we have one other one that I will mention. It's called Sombrero. If you take a close look at that in our video on our website and you look at the grades, and the kilometers long is about 20 kilometers of intrusive and limestone contact with, you know, anywhere from two grams to nine grams gold mm. and 2% to 9% copper all mm. over the place on the surface. That's a remarkable asset. And it's also close to a mine called Las Bambas, which sold for about 5.6 billion in the last market, you know, gold market that we had. It's got a shot at being a major scarring discovery in Peru. And so I could argue that each one of these targets are as good as the other for potential to the upside, but some have a, a little bit more advanced. There's a little bit more work that's been done and some are at that earlier stage, which gives us optionality within our Peru portfolio. Some stuff that we drill there is going to be discovery right out the door. It's going to start to get bigger and other stuff will be that longer shot. And uh, if that longer shot delivers, you're going to have a massive win for shareholders. The stuff that's more advanced, like Weacoyo, that you're going to be stepping out and starting to add some really nice oxide ounces, that's going to give a lot of news and the start of a discovery that could become very meaningful in itself. So, you know, you talk about us becoming newsy. That starts in um, uh, next week. We're going to have, um, or the following week, we're going to have a uh, release out that will discuss our entire portfolio, that will talk about our business plan and bring investors around to what to expect over the next 16 months. Um, ambitiously, and depending on market conditions, we'll conduct ourselves in a very smart sense, but we'd like to start drilling in February in Peru, and you know we're, we're looking to drill between 50 to 60,000 meters across the entire portfolio in about an 18-month period, if possible, sooner. And uh, you know, there's a few companies out there that have acquired a lot of really good assets, but I think we're different, uh, Jay, in the sense that we're going to drill all of them, and we're going to give our shareholders the opportunity to have not one major world-class discovery, but multiple ones across the portfolio. And so when the news starts, and it pretty much started with us getting onto the TSX today, it should be you know very consistent for the next 18 months into what we think is going to be a rising gold market, especially post-February next year. And there'll be a lot of exciting results to come out, uh, not just the remaining holes from Community Bay, but the start of work in Peru as well. You know, uh, talk is cheap, Ivan, but you guys back up your talk with your actions and your past success. When I hear you talking about fifty to 60,000 meters of drilling, uh, it, that is very ambitious for a junior, but you have the ability and the connections, I would say, within the financing community. And one of the things that makes your company and your group and you and Sean's so successful in the past is that you link up very well with all the ingredients that's required to make a, a winning 
uh, exploration company, you not only need to have the technology, the technical skills, and you have them in spades with a lot of home, a lot of previous Newmont geologists who know these uh, properties inside and out. But you also have connections on Bay Street and Wall Street and places where uh, where people uh, have money and are understanding of this sector, and of course. They have gained confidence in you and Sean and your ability uh, to perform and and do well, which is you know one of the reasons that, that you're one of my top picks. Uh, just one question here: this um, I think it is a Hulia Colo uh, that that you just uh, talked about. I believe you own a hundred percent of it. Yes, yeah. you own a hundred percent of that, yeah, right? Wheeler Coil. Yeah. Yes, we have an option to earn a hundred percent on everything we have in Peru. Okay. Okay. So Each project is an option to earn a hundred percent. Yeah. Okay. All right. So you're so you have uh, you step by step you go along and as you're successful, uh, you continue with the program. If for some reason things don't pan out as you expected they would, you have the ability to to opt out. But uh, I'm sure your geologists have done yeah. a great deal of, of of work before you committed uh, to put in the first a small amount of money to gain uh, the op- to buy the options. So I'm I'm very confident. Yeah. So, so we've done back and. Yeah, back-end loaded deals, and this just comes from Sean and my experience over time and uh, the opportunity in the market that we're in. Heavier payments are in the back-end. They're not very expensive properties, at least to our perspective. These are very, very reasonable costs. Even if you were to buy them out today, you're talking to a junior that between uh, Committee Bay we bought for $18 million, Homestake we bought for $8 million. You know, you're talking about a total of 5 or $7 million in option payments at the end of five years at the total with the back end being heavily loaded. It gives us a chance to make discoveries, improve the share price dramatically, and then do financings at higher prices. Um, you touched on something that we're very good at, and that's raising money. And the big reason for our success, and I was listening to you give us a very nice compliment, I appreciate it, but largely has to do with the fact that we're very large investors in our own company and we treat our company as very, very large investors. That's where we win. So how do you deliver the most for your portfolio, for you as an investor and for your company as shareholder to shareholders? You do that by being very prudent with your decisions, raising money in, in good markets, saving money in bad markets, and creating a team through experience and capitalizing on your reputation and your abilities. And that's something that Sean and I have both have done very well here. And I think, you know, we're honored to have the shareholders we have, but for many of them, this is their third success with us. And uh, that's something that makes it a lot easier to understand our business plan. And, you know, if you're a financier, do you want to finance a, a company or a team that keeps winning and getting better, you know, or do you want to finance something new? There's opportunities in both, but for us, this is not our first company. This is not our second one. And both of them have done very well. This is our third. And we've taken the best of what we learned. And we found some incredibly great financiers along the way that can align themselves with ourselves and then go to, to go make a, a company that can deliver significantly for investors. And the last point I'll make, the biggest compliment we've received in a recent uh, conference we went to, Beaver Creek, which some of you may have seen my presentation, but the compliment we've gotten was for the depth of our technical team and their skill set, independent of what we think of it and what we see it's doing. Um, it certainly gets recognized in the world scene in terms of exploration, and it's an absolute honor to work with those guys as well. So putting together that kind of a technical team aligned with our ability to raise money and our desire to monetize things as investors as we are in our company is really our formula that keeps working for us in these companies we build. 
All right, Ivan, we, uh, we, we haven't even touched on Committee Bay. So with maybe two or three minutes, give us an overview of Committee Bay. It seemed the market didn't respond terribly positively to some of the drill results that came out the other day, but there's still more to come. But I, I know this is a huge project. It has tremendous potential. Sure. Yeah, I think the market's reaction to our news release was deceiving to the success we're having with unlocking the potential in Committee Bay. I'll say that at first most. Um, we announced a partial results. We do have about 30 holes remaining and tons more data that we've collected off the belt. What we've seen is very importantly on three bluffs, we've seen gold at depth. We can go down to 800 meters with gold. And yes, we didn't hit big, huge widths of high grade, but we weren't necessarily targeting that. Before you go and target high grade, you generally relog the core of your deposit and you find the major structures and you go follow them down and you go drill high grade. That's an expensive and a time-consuming process. The fact that we've drilled down and we know now it's worth doing that, that the pit will come down and then the underground will continue down to 800 meters, it gave us a real solid answer that three bluffs will get big on us. Those were very successful holes because they bring the gold down to a much bigger depth. Next year, when we target three bluffs, we're going to target grade and we'll hit the holes the market would have liked to see first time around. That'll be the design there. But more importantly, on this belt, and this is a very important fact that your readers should all understand, is you know when we do this till sampling on the surface, it's like soil sampling, but you're doing it on glacial till. You take a sample every 100 meters or so, and you do that across all these targets. The distance that they were able to do um, this year was pretty much the distance from Vancouver to Toronto. That's how much was walked in eight weeks between <laughs> 85 people that were working on it for eight weeks. That blew my mind. It, it blows everyone who's heard about that is just beside themselves. Why be that aggressive? Why do all that reconnaissance work? Why till everything? Well, the results in the market will see us soon are six major targets. And these targets, some of them are defined by high grade. Some are de- defined by arsenic. But these are big targets. And now in total, we have about nine major targets on the belt. That's a lot. And I'd like to say we've narrowed it down from about 60 targets to nine targets. Nine that really mean something that are big. And these six new targets will all be drilled next year. Our program this year, everything that we tell you guys about in terms of drilling and work along the belt, it's split between, it was split between half drilling, which was quite a bit of drilling, but it was exploration drilling. It wasn't extending mineralization. Mm-hmm. It was purely for new discovery, which is riskier. And the other half was split between scanning the rest of the belt and taking boulder samples, till samples, mapping structures, and doing the work, getting things ready, drill ready for the next season. The result of that for me is a 14 out of 10 based on six new major targets when the market starts to see the data around these targets and see how pronounced they are, when the corporates start to see it, when everyone in the world starts to see how this is coming together for us, the, the people in the know that are technically savvy are going to be impressed with the amount of work that was done and the targets that have come out of it. The investors, you have to look at us. The Arctic has got a lot of cover and it's not easy to go up there. And you're not drilling exposed rock. You're right. drilling underneath cover. So where is the structure? Every area that we drilled that we thought there'd be gold, there was gold. There just wasn't grade yet. That's the only thing that's missing. We've hit gold and we we can call it smoke. In some parts of the world, that grade makes a mine. But in the north, you need a lot higher grade. We understand that. Next year will be largely a grade driven, not just gold, but also finding grade driven program. You can't come up there and hope to find it on the first day. You can take a lot of shots at finding it. And so far, we're at 60% of kind of taking those shots. 
and we haven't gotten anything major that's new yet, except for the good news of three bus, which will get big on us. But the remaining 30 holes could have it. But I can tell you that there's certainly some very impressive targets along that belt ready for next year. And our confidence in committee day and our patience with it, and we ask investors to think about the big picture here, it's one that we're going to drill 25,000 meters next year. We've ordered the fuel for that already. We've paid for it. It's already up at site. So we're getting ready to drill 25,000 meters. Next year's program will be about 85% drilling and about 15% just covering the last 15% of the belt that we weren't able to get to yet. And that's going to be another major discovery program. But when you see the targets and you see the grade in some of the areas, we're talking up to eight kilos gold in some areas. You know, it's mm. it's remarkable. You know, it, it's something that we continue to lose sleep on. Um, would we have loved to hit a discovery hole and announce it on Monday? Absolutely. But I still think the stock would have been overshadowed by the $40 downturn in the markets. I think it was a combination of the markets or maybe even more of the markets that brought us down because we put out neutral to positive news. We didn't put out any bad news, you know, and there's still a lot more to come out of Committee Bay while the whole portfolio comes alive for us. So I could give you a hundred reasons of why you should own more shares of corn or make sure it's a big cornerstone position in your portfolio. I could not give you one reason to sell it. You know, even with the gold market doing what it's doing and the volatility, there's too many things that are going on. And the way we're being aggressive technically, the way we're being aggressive with our ambitious approach to drill 50 to 60,000 meters starting in February, the chances investors are going to have along the way for a major success is, is uncanny. Oh, I totally agree with you, uh, which is one of the reasons. Well, it is the reason uh, that RN is one of my top picks, uh, one of my two top picks. So I want to thank you very much. Uh, for being with us, Ivan, today. Uh, and a most exciting story, and we look forward to talking to you again sometime in the near future. So thank you very much for being with us. Great. Well, folks, we do have to go to commercial break, but don't go away because coming back right after the break, Frank Holmes, who heads up the U.S. Global Investor Group of Funds, will be with us. So don't go away. We'll be right back. New Legacy Gold is expanding its iceberg gold deposit in the Cortez Gold trend of mining-friendly Nevada, which is the fifth largest gold mining jurisdiction in the world. New Legacy's deposit is a Carlin-style gold deposit, which can be some of the largest and most profitable gold deposits anywhere. New Legacy's largest shareholders include major gold mining companies Oceana Gold and Barrett Gold Corp., the world's largest gold mining company. New Legacy is well-funded and professionally managed, and we invite you to visit our website to learn more newlegacygold.com that's n-u-l-e-g-a-c-y gold.com again n-u-l-e-g-a-c-y gold.com Ariane Phosphate is the owner of the world's largest greenfield phosphate project. Unlike other fertilizer nutrients such as potash and nitrogen, phosphate is in deficit in most areas of the world, including right here in North America. It has no substitute and is necessary if we're to grow our crops. Unlike the Middle East and North Africa, which controls most of the world's phosphate, Ariane is situated in mining-friendly Quebec and, once in production, will reduce North America's growing reliance on foreign supply. With a market cap representing just 4% of its $2 billion NPV, Ariane may be the answer to growth in investors' portfolios while ensuring the safety of our food supply. Ariane, D-A-N on the TSXV and E-R-R-S-F in the U.S.
listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really happy to have with me once again Frank Holmes. Uh, Frank is a highly experienced financial professional and one who is a very pragmatic investor. Frank is unusual, in my view anyway, among many mainstream financial analysts in that he understands the importance of having a negatively correlated asset like gold as, a, as an important portfolio strategy. Now, he's not on all-in gold bug by any means, but Frank is a person who really uh, does his homework and, and comes up with new ideas about how to invest and uh, always learning new tricks, which, is, which makes him very, very valuable and makes his uh, group of funds at the U.S. Global uh, umbrella of funds to be very, very important. So we're really pleased to have you with us again. Thanks for joining me today, Frank. It's great to be here. Long time, no chat. Yeah, it's been a while. Uh, before I get started, I, I do want to ask you, I understand uh, that you and, and, and one of your colleagues there, Ralph Aldis, uh, was awarded Best America's Based Fund Manager. Can you talk a little bit about that? That was by the Mining Journal, I believe. Yes, yes. Thank you very much. Um, it was uh, recognized. I think they used Morningstar as a system to look at um, stocks and uh-huh. uh, stock pickers, etc. And uh, and I think IBD had caught uh, a story on it that we're outperforming the GDX and GDXJ. And how did we double over the past three years? And um, they were still negative. So he uh-huh. was looking at it that way. So from that end... The biggest thing I share with you, Jay, is being you know, a rigorous analyst, and in the previous cycle, which we received awards for best mining fund group in the, in the world back in 06 and 07, in those periods, and one of the things we did back then, we were leaders in five-year warrants, and uh, we, were the, we would price a new financing, and uh, we always went for the optionality, and they wanted our order to be the lead order for uh, financing, then it had to have warrants of these at these, uh, this strike price in particular. So we had a lot of quant modeling done on the value of a warrant and getting uh-huh. listed. Uh, and that, that gave us this massive uh, outer performance uh, during that 2001 to 2008 cycle. Mm-hmm. The cycle's changed since 2008. And, uh, and what you've seen is, is the, what came out after them was the GDXJ, which seems to be uh, all the mid-cap and some of the small-cap producers, and it becomes self-fulfilling because money only goes into the ETF, and they only buy their basket of names, which they change once a quarter. Yeah. Um, and it, it grew from nothing to, I think its first week was $400 million. It came out in 2009, I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's now billions of dollars uh, of money flows. So I think what we recognize is that you had to look at what were their factors and how has the market changed. And the big factor is, I guess the way I keep using this word factor, is because it's called factors that they look at. And it's the quant world. And the quant world, we're so consumed with algorithms for high-frequency trading. But really, Mm -hmm. Jay, it's high-frequency research. Mm Mm-hmm. 
the data mining which is expected from an energy company or a mining company, such as you know, you've seen Robert Friedland's presentations of 3D graphics and where the drill holes are, and remember what Rob McEwen did years ago of, of putting all of his data out on the public, and uh, they're using 3D graphics, and there's a million-dollar contest to find the rich deposit. Uh, that, that concept of using data uh, for picking a resource, mining a resource, or looking for a resource, etc., is now entered where these machines can quickly look through every gold stock sell uh, broker analyst and mm-hmm. one day can rank them all who is more accurate and who can move markets. Rank the analyst, you mean? You, yeah, you rank, rank the analyst. analyst. I see, I they, see. And, and they rank the CEOs. They know the CEO has gone from firm A to B, and they rank them on certain factors. And the factors are um, most important is how they protect the value per share. So the revenue per share growth, one quarter over four quarters. Uh, the cash flow return investor capital, which is an important uh, ratio that's used in, in the capital markets to look who's, who's better at generating cash flow returns on invested capital deployed. Um, they, they look at these, and, and they use it many different types of factors. But I wrote about a piece um, several months ago, and I said the lowest G&A to revenue, the lowest, Mm-hmm. So I took the 10 lowest stocks in, in January, um, and I bought them, and then I rebalanced them in March, and I rebalanced them in June, and year to date, they're up 200%. Mm. The GDX is only up 70%. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's but pretty remarkable. But a mutual investor, yeah. I have to have 20, at least minimum 20 investments, so I can't have a concentrated portfolio like that. But yeah. what it's telling you is that it's the factor, one of the factors that the quants look at. That's why those stocks went up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so when I go around and visit these sell analysts, I went around into Toronto, Vancouver, New York, and went to many of the different firms and said, so who's buying these gold stocks? Who are you getting in front of? Only one firm was able to answer me, and that was CIBC. And CIBC was the one that was able to say that it was quant funds. And quant funds, um, uh, they're not, they don't care about seeing a gold analyst. The macro funds do, the Bridgewaters, the George Soros, they will listen to a gold analyst. Um, and they will want to get color and insight as they take a position. But the quants don't care. They, they're using all this data mining themselves and looking for one of the 70 factors. And then they sort of put together what they think is a magic sauce and they buy those stocks. Uh, and, and that's what's really important. So in winning this award, you know, we're very sensitive of knowing, okay, well, what are the factors that are important for getting alpha? And uh, so we used a, a, a series of different types of factors that would tilt our portfolio, uh, and that was one key element. And the other one I've mentioned and I've written about many times, oh, Jay, the other one is I wrote a piece a couple of weeks ago. Of the, your subscribers go to usfunds.com. You can see these mm-hmm. articles. I, I highlighted cash flow return on invested capital as a mm-hmm. factor. And once again, it, it, it was almost two times what the uh, GDX was. Interesting. If I, well, that, if now I just these, took a concentrated portfolio. So you're always looking for different, uh, different factors, perhaps, though. They, they may change yes. from time to time. 
Yeah. Yes, I'm looking I, at factors that drive the attraction where people have confidence in. And, and so the idea of your future production, your future reserves, etc. There have been so many delays and disappointments from poor management or from poor government policies that derail or destabilize or uh, defer the, on this increase in production. And, and so, therefore, it's, it's, they're going for momentum rather than saying what the, what the company's future looks like. Because they believe right. that the odds favor they're not going to deliver what the, the expectations are, so we we did this and, and it's been insightful. It's been useful, um, and uh, it's it's recognizing that. So a lot of these CEOs is going to be the biggest part of corporate governance. You know, it, it is um, if you're not able to show against the uh, benchmarks uh, what you how you're doing, then you're not going to perform. Now. One of the things we noticed was Newmont. Now, Newmont's the only gold producer, pure gold producer in the S&P 500, um, mm-hmm. or the 500 stocks, and its free cash flow went from negative to positive in the past year, and mm-hmm. so therefore, it, and it grew faster than the S&P 500. So the quants all of a sudden start buying Newmont mm-hmm. because it shows up as a turn in its cash flow substantially greater than the overall S&P 500. And that's what they do. They do this relative comparative analysis. Um, we've also done another way of looking at factors is where royalty companies bless when they basically uh, bless a project uh, um, that they've done all their own work on and they put money into the company. Um, that gives us a certain degree of confidence because they're sure. willing also to deploy their capital. And many of those junior stocks were the best-performing gold stocks last year in the TSE. The, right. the, in the top 10 best mid-cap gold producers, seven out of the 10 had royalties from Franco, Nevada. Mm-hmm. Well, so it's, a, it, it's, you do your own homework, and then you get an overlay. So the fact that they do get a finding from Franco, Nevada, is like the, you know, the good housekeeping seal. This is a mm-hmm. good Betty, Betty Crocker uh, cake mix. Well, it seems to me, though, you're talking momentum. So in a way, what you're trying to determine is who else is putting their money in there or where is the money flow going to go more than whether these companies are successful longer term. So I'd be interested in knowing longer term, Frank, whether uh, these quants are going to pick the right companies for the long term or don't they care about long term? It's all about short term profits. No, they don't care about long term. They, they no, are, they don't. It, it, and they're agnostic, no, and, and they could care less about uh, about gold and you know gold. The things that gold bugs like me care about, uh, they could care less. I mean, it doesn't matter. It's gold is the is the industry that's that's making money now. So we're in there, right? We're we're in the gold mining sector. Right. Otherwise, we're out. We're into some something but, else. But you, but you and I can learn from them because they because they will quickly access something that we don't know why, and it and sure. it makes us that we better find out why. Sure. And if all of a sudden that the relative strength of a gold stock starts acting better, and we don't know why, then we have to figure out what you know what were they looking at. I think that that's the other part of that coin um, that's positive, and we're looking at what that quant world's doing. Um, mm-hmm. Another thing is is social media. Uh, a classic was um, uh, a service that looks at tweets, and uh-huh. they were looking at tweets, and uh, hedge fund was Long Chipotle. And he saw the tweets were coming in negative that people were getting sick before three weeks before it came that they had a uh. press release that Chipotle had problems because they were uh. tracking that. So the data mining is very different. It's, it's, um, uh, it's just recognizing that and how to use it to your advantage. Sure. Uh, and I think that, that, that money manager that says, you know, I want to read Barron's Saturday morning, drink my Starbucks coffee and pick stocks, they're history. 
Yeah. <laughs> oh, I can understand that very well. That's, uh, uh, Frank, you know, mention the name of You've got a couple of gold funds just for the benefit of our listeners who may not be familiar. Mention a couple of them and maybe the difference between the two. Uh, I think the one that uh, in particular buys the junior space, which which uh, you have a strong following, is, is World yes. Precious Minerals, WMPX, yes. and uh, because it's fifteen percent allocated towards uh, junior space, um, and so I think that you know that's uh, an important part of looking at um, uh, that industry uh, <laughs> is how we look at the. The junior mining, and we look at junior mining. So when we look at junior mining, we look at a lot of metrics such as grade and reserves per share. So we saw it from the meltdown from 2011 peak in gold at 1900 down to last year, that decline. A lot of the junior stocks that uh, didn't rebound were the ones that destroyed their value on a per share basis. They kept doing financings and financings. Yes. So you end up having less gold or less copper per share. Right. And, and, and they didn't experience the surge and the rebound. The ones that did, they exploded in this past year, this year to date. They've had huge three, 400% moves, and uh, they've been able to now do financing at much better prices, so it's not dilutive. So it's recognizing that these factors you have to look at um, are just different. Um, let me give you another one, Jay, about this cash flow return on invested capital. Uh, who's yeah. did so well there? The, uh, the Australians. And some of our Australian stocks have done this. I mean, you meet the CEO, and they're former mining operators. And uh, when they bought uh, Barrick's, when Barrick sold assets in Australia, and they bought them, um, uh, or Newmont sold them, and they bought them because they were both divesting of assets, they knew how to squeeze $30 million in free cash flow to the system uh, within a quarter. $30 uh-huh. million. Dollars. Yeah. And um, and so some of these stocks in our portfolio are up eight hundred percent in the past five years. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's fantastic. Well, the the main question then, Frank, though, is uh, is the gold bull market over? You know, there's a, a lot of concerns there. A lot of the junior mining executives that I talk to uh, have seen this last little correction. I think it's nothing more than a correction, but they're concerned it could be something more. Uh, you you wrote an article your last weekly missive, and I might just mention, I believe, Frank, that your weekly uh, newsletter is available to people who simply what they can put their name on a list and and get your yep. yeah yeah it's it's a wonderful letter I subscribe I I can tell you that um, you know last week uh, or recent one was no love for gold was a was an article that was your most recent one but you always a very interesting uh, newsletter that comes out every week and it's free of charge right Frank and and so people can just go there and and put their name on the list so. Uh, you, you, uh, the last one is no love for gold was the last letter last Friday. You put this out on the weekend, I guess, and every mm-hmm. weekend. Um, so wh- what are your thoughts now for gold? I mean, uh, aside from the quants, uh, but, but maybe well, you look at quantum. Yeah. I was yeah. trying to make a point that, that we had, um, China was closed and, and China is mm-hmm. very important. Uh, you know, a gold is the fourth most liquid asset class in the world. B, China has gone from price taker to price maker, and the fact that the Shanghai market was down, and they're the major, most second, or first and second most major player, and in the love trade, they're the, they're the number one and two with India, so it's a mm-hmm. Chindia effect, 
But and when China shuts down like that, and they it had a significant um, what do you call a volume factor. Uh, mm-hmm. But I'm going to relate this to something else. I think it's really important. You hear this efficient frontier and what it means yeah. and what they call the quants call the market's efficient. Well, actually, when you read the material, the market is only efficient when you have piranhas. Uh-huh. That's what they call right. it. And Adam Smith called it the invisible hand. Sure. Um, and there's an arbitrage that takes place. And so I think a lot of these um, uh, high-frequency research are part of that arbitrage, that, that they are the piranhas of information. And, uh, and it's the same thing looking at the juniors. Like, do I have more insight than someone else? Then I will all of a sudden have first-mover advantage, and I become that piranha that then all of a sudden the capital markets look efficient. Yeah. So what I was well, uh, trying to share with people is mm-hmm. that the market was inefficient, inefficient because – Two things happened. One was when the negative news came out on uh, a Brexit, um, right? Holland um, and the president of France making his knock, like he, like his country likes to knock all great American corporations uh, from Apple to Netflix, etc. Um, that that they made this negative statement towards the the British. At the same time, when, uh, there was other news, uh, economic data points that came out when the U.S. capital markets weren't open and neither in a sort of a, a quiet period uh, with the U.K. And guess what? The Brexit, the currency fell 6%. When America opened up, all of a sudden, the buying started coming back into uh, the Brexit. Well, we had that experience with gold, too, with China not being there. And that's what I was trying to mm-hmm. highlight last week. Yeah, well, that certainly makes sense. Another uh, firm in New York, uh, a mutual fund firm, was suggesting it might have been the paper trade. Uh, that, uh, by the way, uh, uh, this uh, guy uh, Andrew McGuire, I know, is is in agreement with uh, with your with your view there on the on the China issue, uh, Frank. But another firm here in New York uh, that is a mutual fund firm uh, suggested that maybe. Uh, it had more to do with paper flows. It, it noted that uh, there was a, a, a net inflow of uh, of money into GLD or one of the ETFs, the bullion ETFs, and that normally until that point in time, until just recently, it had really correlated very well. In other words, money going into the ETF uh, and gold prices rose, but not this time. So do you think there could be anything to that paper trade? Yeah, I, I think Possibly. no doubt, and in particular when it's a quiet period. Yeah, I, okay. I think it's just recognizing that if you don't have the normal liquidity, uh, the capital markets aren't fluid and open, then you can get this type of, of uh, volatility. Uh, we, we notice it all the time. You know, it's, it's just mm-hmm. a, a factor of trying to quickly, what's news, what's relevant, and guys play games with it. Uh, there's no doubt. And um, it's just part of the overall ecology of the capital markets. It really Frank, is. So you- they. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Finish your thought. No, I, I think it's it's uh, it's unfortunate if you just put a trade on and they whack it down and do this type of shenanigans. But we're not getting away long term, Jay, from trillions and trillions of dollars of, of uh, debt and yes. pensions that are unfunded. And what they're doing in Chicago, I wrote about three weeks ago, taxing people to oblivion for government uh, pensions. And oh, so we'll all become enslaved to government uh, union pensions. And uh, you know, how far does that go? Um, I, I think that long term, this is, is probably the important part for gold. Yeah, I, I have no doubt about that. Well, I wanted to ask you, because you mentioned uh, in, in your last weekly you talked about uh, the IMF's warnings about global debt, and if nations don't deliver pretty soon, there are going to be some grave consequences. But I'm thinking, 
Well, even if we do delever, there's going to be some grave consequences, Frank. And I mean, it seems any way you look at it, we're in big trouble. Yeah, we are. And if we're balanced, we'll be okay. Uh, and we're smart about being balanced, like owning some gold bullion and owning silver coins and uh, having that diversification. And, uh, you know, one of the things is I've been a big uh, student office is the tax-free munis, and we have a top-performing muni market. Well, they're not going to come and sort of confiscate tax-free munis. Uh, they'll confiscate other things, and uh, so it's just recognizing well, what, what do governments do when they panic and do things. Um, so I think that, that, that there's ways to diversify, and I think that that's what's really important for investors to have and to rebalance, like I've said about gold. You have a 10% weighting in gold, and you rebalance every quarter, and it's amazing uh, how it helps your performance. Well, it, it indeed it does, Frank, and I can't get over the time when you were on CNBC and the mean-spirited host there uh, uh, was giving you a hard time for rebalancing. How could you dare put people into gold, Frank, when all you've done is lost a lot of money over the last couple of years? And lost, I mean, you ought to go to jail, Frank, for your, uh, your recommending people buy gold. It's a losing proposition. Well, not so much, and I don't see that guy coming on and patting you on the back now for rebalancing, you know, so uh, your, your strategy has worked very well, Frank, and uh, I think you're be to, you're, you are to be commended for it and for, uh, and for sticking with it. Um, yeah, so we, we have some real issues. Uh, a massive paper market selling. I, I wonder, though, just to, with another minute left, uh, interest rates rising now, Frank. Uh, is this a function of the markets are saying we need higher returns, or is it really the Federal Reserve that is, that is driving rates higher? No, it's the Federal Reserve. You know, the the Federal Reserve is 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 driving it, no doubt. I All mean, right. that's that's what I think is is important to recognize. But I I wouldn't uh, what's the word uh, get too caught up with it. Um, you know, any negative news, and all of a sudden they'll 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 kick it back down. My big threat is I don't think so. They're going to raise rates if they happen. It'll be negative for many reasons because we're just living with too many regulations in every part of our life. Yeah. And and I think that that's the whole reason for Brexit. Uh, taxation and regulation of representation led to a revolution in America and Absolutely. it led to Brexit's. Absolutely. Well, Frank, we're out of time. We're going to have to leave it go at that. So much more to talk about. We'll have to have you back again sometime soon. It was a pleasure chatting with you. Thanks for being with us today. And uh, again, we'll do it sometime again soon. Thanks very much. Well, folks, thank you. that is all the time we have this week. Uh, next week, Rick Ruled and Don Cox of the Bank of Montreal will be with us. And so I hope that you'll tune in then. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. New Legacy Gold is expanding its iceberg gold deposit in the Cortez Gold trend of mining-friendly Nevada, which is the fifth largest gold mining jurisdiction in the world. New Legacy's deposit is a Carlin-style gold deposit, which can be some of the largest and most profitable gold deposits anywhere. New Legacy's largest shareholders include major gold mining companies Oceana Gold and Barrett Gold Corp., the world's largest gold mining company. New Legacy is well-funded and professionally managed, and we invite you to visit our website to learn more. NewLegacyGold.com. That's N-U-L-E-G-A-C-Y Gold.com. Again, N-U-L-E-G-A-C-Y Gold.com. 
Novo Resources focuses on the exploration and development of gold projects. Its flagship asset is the Beaton's Creek Gold Project in Western Australia, where it is currently processing a 30,000-ton bulk sample. Novo also controls 100% interest in the Blue Spec Gold Antimony Project, where it is conducting a 10,000-meter drill program. The company has over $7 million in cash and enjoys strong shareholder support from the likes of Eric Sprott and Newmont Mining. It trades in Canada and the U.S. under the symbols NVO and NSRPF respectively.